Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 7 a.m. Novelist Passages of Summer Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scenes, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, we hear from Jasmine Ilani Hakes who is going to share the first pages of her novel, Hula, which was just released this May. Good morning, Jasmine. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Jasmine Hakes was born and raised in Hilo, Hawaii. Her essays have appeared in the Los Angeles Times and the Sacramento Bee. Hula is her debut novel, and it's an Amazon editor's pick. It's received star reviews from Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Shelf Awareness, and it's also an Elle Magazine 39 Best New Books to Read this summer. She lives in California, and for those of you that are watching the video portion of this, she has a beautiful photo of the backdrop of her island, I'm assuming. Um, Yes. yes. Um, Okay, Jasmine, thank you so much again for being with us. Can you give us a quick overview of the book so we have some context for when you read your first pages to us? Thank you so much. So Hula is a story set in my hometown of Hilo on the big island of Hawaii. It's a multi-generational saga that examines the lasting impact of colonization, the occupation of the kingdom, and theft of said kingdom, uh, as well as the evolution of the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. It's basically a story that reflects the world I know and love and had not seen reflected in literary form. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, okay, let's listen. And for those of you, um, if you look at the podcast notes or even the Substack page, you can find these uh, link to these first pages so you can follow along or look at them afterwards um, because there's a lot of interesting use of language um, and other things that we'll be talking about in terms of close reading choices. Okay, go ahead, Jasmine. Ho'omaka, we are not what you think. To you who come on airplanes, who descend upon us, we are invisible as air. We are the aina and the sum of its parts. Malka and Makai, past and present, Born of its waters, we are Haumana and Kupuna, ageless and ancient, the keepers of the stories, the watchers, the listeners. You think you've been here. You think you know us. You have the pictures to prove it. The pictures are wrong. You've seen nothing at all. We are not here for you. We were here before you came and will be here when you leave. We are Hilo, one. We are we. Back in the old days, you introduced yourself by telling your mo'oku auhau, where you was from, who's your dad, your grandma, your relations. Your mo'oku auhau told the story of where you fit, of your talent and ability, as well as your particular kuleana, the responsibilities and duty that contribute to the whole like a star in the sky. It said if you were of the mountain or of the ocean, it rooted you to your place. The Naupaka Ohana was one of Hilo's first families both creator and protector of Keokaha, our land, our home. Our jagged coastline was stamped into the veins of the Naupaka women, Laka, her mother Hulali, her great Tutu Ulu. Their collective mana ran through the crisp, fresh water gurgling up out of the black lava rocks along the shore and in the whispers of the Hala groves. Everybody knew the story of the Naupaka Ohana, of where they'd come from, of everything everything they'd done for Keokaha and Hilo. Theirs was the hula of us, the telling of not only how they became they, but how we became we. 
Like a mo'oku auhau, star charts map ways both forward and backward. With them, we find our way through the dark. We cross great oceans. We make our way home to Hilo. With the naupakas, we knew the canoe would stay on course. Like any ohana, there are many roots and branches to the naupaka tree, many ripples in the water of each naupaka spring. But this one, Hii's story, was different. Her star chart was full of clouds. It muddied the waters of our history and left our future uncertain, our direction unknown. Hilo, Big Island's heart, land of the Kani Lehua rain, the mist from which the red Lehua flowers drink. Hilo, our curse and our blessing. Wonderful, wonderful. And do you want to read just a few paragraphs into your first chapter so people can kind of see the transition? The transition, sure. Get to that page. Also, I just love hearing this voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's very specific. Yes. Chapter 1, 1968. When he was a baby, we blamed her color on sunscreen. We are the color of curly koa, of burnt butter, of empty beer bottles forgotten on the porch from the night before. Our rainbow is made up of browns, greens, blues. Our keiki roamed free. They tumbled naked on the same black sands of Richardson's that we'd tumbled free and naked on. Here, tucked away in our quiet, overlooked corner, the world made sense. But Hii's skin made her mother Laka do things only tourists do. That babe, so different from her mama, stayed parked under the shade of a palm tree, buried in hats and coveralls in Laka's arms, slathered from ear to toe in sunscreen so thick, the ocean didn't know what to do with her. Kekai bounced her on its vast blue glittering surface, a pink conch boy, baby buoy. We itched to get our hands on that babe, the next in line of the great Nalpakas, a true daughter of our neighborhood, finally returned to take her place. We wanted to strip off her clothes and wipe her free of all those chemicals, to hold her up to the sun and let her bake. But Laka stayed hunched over her baby, alert, anxious, like she was trying to keep a bubble from popping. She spread her towel on the sand on the other side of the beach as if we were contagious. We kept our questions tied to our tongues, dogs on chains. Wonderful, wonderful. And I love, there's so many beautiful lines here, but this one, I remember when I read through and this, this part made me just smile, um, slathered from ear to toe and sunscreen so thick, the ocean didn't know what to do with her. And then the line after Kike um, bounced her on its vast blue glittering surface, a pink conch baby buoy. Um, so there's so many wonderful language choices. Um, okay, let's go back to the beginning again. Now, were these always the first pages of your book? It has all, it's gone through many edits and the, we blamed her color on sun, on sunscreen was always that first, uh, maybe, maybe two pages. It amazingly stayed almost identical to the original, very messy draft. Yeah. <laughs> and did you have the, um, the opening kind of prologue as well? Well, I think that it, it, to a certain extent, but that was mixed into the first chapter a little bit more. Okay. Originally, um, you know, I, I I wrote it as a as an intended um, kind of a literary hula, which is very much an oral culture. And hulas 
in general, start with almost a summary of like, I'm going to tell you a story of this. And so that's why it's separated in verse form. And so the Ho'omaka is meant to almost be the oli, which is the beginning chant of a hula, where you you kind of enter a space and announce your intentions. And that's what the Ho'omaka, the first pages do here. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and so that's why you call it verse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it sounds like a song, absolutely. And um, you start then with this kind of royal we, which, as you said, gives this kind of introduction, like this is what I'm going to tell you. Are they usually in that kind of the the royal we voice? Um, Hula's spread format, I mean, they, they can talk about uh, historical events, uh, geological things. They, they'll tell myth- mythical stories. For me, what I so so I chose this narrator, this royal we, to give you a, con, a kind of the feeling of what it is to live in in a pl- place that is so defined by its community, you know, and and it's not necessarily just the people; it's the land talking to you because Hawaii has it's such a there's such an energy there; it's very um, palpable. And that is actually what I think draws people and continues to draw people to Hawaii. It's it's more than just beautiful, you know. It hasn't. It's very alive. So the we was was kind of a, a mix of the community, the land, the spirits, the ancestors, all of these things, and and they're they're kind of observant of everything to give you almost a claustrophobic, but in a good way, type of feel of you're in a neighborhood where everybody's paying attention, you know. And then do you go back to this voice at different parts during the book and kind of back off to give the preparation for the next? Yeah, I deferred to kind of the older style of of traditional oral, uh, you know, um, storytelling where it tells stories almost in circles, you know, Mm -hmm. and and there were times where with the story, I wanted we to be there to say like, yeah, we're still here. And and very much like as if you were in a small community and you're operating, you know, and you're doing what you do. And then all of a sudden you get this reminder of like, there are eyes all over the place and just marking a remote, you know, uh, letting their uh, opinions be known. And so um, they were kind of the thread throughout. And it was mostly almost a story about the we more than yeah. the Naupakas, you know, and, yeah. and the Naupakas exemplified the challenges of what we continue to face. Right. And so was it difficult for you to decide as you were working how to pace that out? When when to have the we voice, when to have the Naupakas, um, or did it just feel natural, um, instinctual of when you were going to break into one or the other? It was kind of odd when I uh, when I started writing this because I, you know, I'd been writing for 10 years trying to trying to write something. And this book, I did not try to write the we came out. And and whenever it was in the we voice, it just it was very unapologetic about what, you know, it was it was like I my hand was being guided with that. Um, As far as pacing, it was very difficult because um, here's a story that talks about very complex things uh it w- tucked within a culture and a history that is not very well known i wasn't mm-hmm. taught it as a child and i grew up in hawaii you know and um my family's from there and um and so i had to do a lot of research and then build out so that you could understand the context of what they were what they were trying to to survive basically 
Yeah. With with giving it like, without giving you a doctoral dissertation about it. Right, right. I mean, Again, I'm I'm interviewing her from the island of Cyprus and, and thinking about writing to the island of Cyprus. There's so much history, heavy history in these places that people just don't know. So how do you write it without writing a historical <laughs> text? Exactly. Um, yeah. and, I and never intended. I'm not a historian, so I never intended to write a historical fiction. Right. You know, and so did your agent or editors um, guide you one way or another? Um, in how to get, I don't know, information across, or did you have to push back, or what was that experience? It was an it, it was a very interesting process because I knew when I moved to California from Hawaii, I knew that I had, uh, it felt like I moved countries. You know, uh, there yeah. was a lot of code switching, but I didn't really have the words for what that was until fairly recently, um, and a lot of what I thought were common phrases and things, you know, thankfully my agent used to be an editor. And when she got this, it was very raw. I had not polished it up and we just, it was, there was happenstance in how she came across it. Um, And she signed it saying, we're going to have to, you know, work because there's so much that we're trying to, to do here um, to tell the story of just this town and this family. Um, and so she would say, and then my editors, you know, there was a lot of red along the, the margins of the, you know, track changes of our word doc of like, what does this mean? Does this really happen? And, and in doing that, working with, with my agent and then my editors, um, it was, it was actually a very illuminating process because I would, I would put things in there and then, and they would say, well, are you trying to say they're a cockroach? And I'd say, no, they're cockroaching the thing. And I didn't realize that like I was, you know, that's pigeon. So it was, it was, it was a, it was an incredible process. I think for all of us uh, to, and how to even edit something that they're not an expert in, you know? And so there had to be a lot of give and take a lot of trust and a lot of exploring of how this would work, you know? Yeah. But still keep it your voice, still keep it. Just still keep it. And and thankfully, everybody, the the whole team loved that is, I think, what carried through and and kept them motivated to continue to make this, you know, the best it could be was because it was there was such a distinct voice to it. It was just there were so many things. Hilo, actually. So every Hawaiian word, most Hawaiian words have many, many meanings. And the word Hilo versus just the town named Hilo is a moon, but it also means to braid. And so if if I'm writing a hula uh, about Hilo, you know, mm. you are actually braiding in a lot of different elements and that sometimes can make your eyes cross. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, and, and I think you just work in also um, the language of the island so seamlessly um and and it seems that i mean this is this is kind of my uh preference i basically i hope that readers do a little work <laughs> or just or just go along with the song and go along with the voice um instead of trying to react like well i don't know what that means um you know just kind of to to i don't know hang with it um but mm-hmm. it does seem like you you work that language in uh you provide it good context 
Um, but it doesn't feel again, like it doesn't even feel like you're providing the context. Um, and it just, we're just able to swim on the language and get the flavor of all of it, which is. Thank just, you. I mean, my town, I grew up, it, everything was very musical. So the, yeah. I, I didn't get an MFA. I wrote this by ear and I tried to capture the musicality, but those choices, thank you for saying that because those choices were incredibly, incredibly deliberate coming from a place that is so, um, uh, commodified. Everything is geared, all of our, uh, our TV, our literature, it's all geared towards outsiders, towards people yeah. that don't understand. And so every explanation that I would feel like maybe I should give one, I felt like that was taking a step back from this being for my community instead of being about my community. And for generations, we were shamed for speaking pigeon and, um, and so I wanted you to get this sense of these are very intelligent people and pigeon does not mean they're uneducated or, 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 you know, feeble minded, however you want to term it. But also I wanted to give you that sense. It, it, to me, what the language served as was a constant reminder that you are not where you think you are. You think, you know, Hawaii. And I say that very early on, you know, I kind of spell that out to say, you're going to come to a different country and I'm going to invite you into my home and you're going to just sit. You're not going to have a tour guide to this. You can get that experience somewhere else, but this is you're in, in my home and you're sitting on my couch and you're watching my family interact. And same, like if you were in France and don't speak French or put that in whatever context, you're going to get maybe 70% of it because all of your senses are engaged, not just, you know, you're not just listening. You're, you're kind of trying to sense body movement and tone and all of these things. And it's a completely different experience when you don't, when you're not a native English speaker or native to, to whatever language is being spoken. And so that was that, um, even just you knowing you won't understand all of that, was actually a very intentional thing, you know. Right, right. And so, yeah, at the very beginning, we are not what you think. Um, so that you seems directed at the reader, just like you were talking about. Who is that imagined reader for you then? Um, it, you know, it weaves in and out. I, I think when I, for that passage, I envisioned almost a theater where, yeah. you know, someone comes out and, and is just addressing the theater. And it could be people from the community and people from outside of the community. But, but mostly that initial passage is directed to kind of anyone who has e either wants to come to Hawaii, has come to Hawaii, has moved to Hawaii. You know, there's a lot of, um, I, when I was younger, we'd be at the beach and tour buses would come, you know, would just kind of park in the parking lot and you know you have a hundred tourists just suddenly flood the, the the sands and they would take pictures of my baby they take pictures of me they wouldn't say a word and then they just mm -hmm. it, in the you know in the blink of an eye then they disappear back on their tour bus they hadn't touched the water they hadn't done they hadn't sat down they just took a bunch of pictures and so we were just kind of like this backdrop and mm -hmm. and I think that really it just planted that seed of frustration of like treat this as a place you know if if you go to a different country I'm not saying don't come but see us it we're we're part of this place it enriches actually your experience of it you know mm -hmm. and hear us because yes. this is this is what you're doing is giving language 
It's um, an acknowledgement that we exist almost. And, you know, and I think that was what sparked the, the desire to write this mm-hmm. was all of the books I grew up. Now there are actually, uh, you know, Hawaiian authors, there are more, more and more books coming um, out that are somewhat reflective. But when I was growing up, I didn't see that, you know, and, and most of, and there were so many things set in Hawaii, but it was all people that had come there and it was more just used as a pretty backdrop or a landscape, you know, and there was kind of almost no acknowledgement that there's a whole other thing happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, then in, you take, you, there's a break and then you have back in the old days, you introduced yourself. Is That seems to be a different you. Yeah. And that, you know, and I think to a certain extent, Island peoples know this. This is how you introduce yourself. You know, when I moved to California, it was an adjustment because people ask you, oh, what do you do? You know, and that's how you kind of or and where do you live in in Hawaii? It was more you just kind of find the common denominator. Oh, where did you go to high school? Oh, who's your family? Oh, I know that. And you find the overlap, you know, and and that's kind of how you root yourself in whatever room you're in. And so in in further on, I say, you know, you know, Hawaii is a place where you, you've never met a stranger. You you just meet family you haven't met yet. You don't know, you know, and I think that that's for a lot of um, island cultures, you have that. And so, so that we was, it was more insular. It was, you, you know, you talk about this or, but, but I mean, you go back to, you know, Europe, a lot of last names, you know, originated in whatever they were, their trade was. Um, my father's family is from England and they were the fishmongers. So Hake is a fish, you know, it, so they're the Hakeses. Good, good. Um, and it makes me think, I also uh, interviewed Vanessa Hua and um, her novel Forbidden City. Mm-hmm. And she is a first person voice that is speaking to a you. And it also has a similar, like, you are going to get this wrong. You don't understand. Um, but then she also had the first person kind of alter that and question her own assumption of who her audience was. And then the, and then the book changes too, because I think who um, didn't want to just speak to an American readership or to, to um, an other readership. She wanted to speak to um, people that would be more familiar with the story. Um, and so I feel like that second you kind of does the same with yours. It speaks not only to mainland um, mm-hmm. um, American readers, but then also um, people that for which Hawaii is their home. Um, yeah, I mean, so when you're when you're I think for a lot of books, you don't even realize the the privilege that you can make, uh, you know, you can allude to this, or you can use slang for this, and and it's it's part of the mainstream, and so you don't have to explain it. And with, uh, you know, marginalized communities and cultures, it's there's a frustration in in constantly having to explain what I mean because you lose the lyricism of what you're trying to say and the poetry of it or whatever. When I have to explain what fa is or simon or take whatever you, you know, you want to talk about. And we don't have that luxury. Uh, And I think there's, there's that inherent, like, okay, that creates this, this divide of here's us and here's you. And we operate in your space all the time. And I'm asking you now to come into my space, you know. And how have you found audiences are taking this book? 
different I, audiences. Yeah, you never know how people, how readers are going to read a read something. And so far, it has been incredibly graciously received. And people are, you know, it. When I first started writing this, people would ask me, "What are you writing about?" And I'd say, "Oh, well, you know, family dealing with blood quantum laws." And nine nine out of ten times that people would be like, "I've never heard of. I don't know what you're talking about." And now my daughters, who are, you know, scouring the internets for all the reactions to things, they'll find it on TikTok, and people are talking about that. They they're they're talking about blood quantum laws and colonization, and and you know, and and so it's been it's been actually more than I could have ever hoped for just sparking a conversation of, of things way beyond uh, this book and the implications, how it ripples out and, and all the different other communities that are facing things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, so far it's, it's been pretty wonderful to see people just go, I don't understand. And that's okay. They get why that was intended for them to, to feel outside of it to a certain extent. Right. Right. Um, and so I think, too, uh, with the summary and exposition you open up, the voice is so strong and is so beautiful. I think we could just sit with it for a very long time. I could. Um, and it has so much sensory richness to it and has so much motion to it so that it actually feels like it's not exposition, that we are actually, again, riding on a wave or hearing a song. And I think it just works so well because you actually don't get into seen until a couple pages in the first chapter mm-hmm. with the long narrow length of dirt that served as Pua Bay's parking lot was already full. Laka fitted her car between two trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost kind of almost settles there. I was when I read that, I was like, no, I want to go back to the song. But no, it's nice to then be able to focus in. Um, because I do think there is a bias to start with scene. Um, mm-hmm. always start with scene. Um, but this book I just I would, I would think, I mean, there were a lot of thoughts throughout the editing process. There were a lot of thoughts on that. Um, And, and that was hard. You know, I, I knew that that's, that's kind of sometimes somewhat frowned upon or, or it can kind of, you know, readers aren't, aren't up to that anymore or, but I very much wanted to just kind of go out on a limb and say, this is, this is your primary character the place is your primary character. They are the protagonist here. And so just suffer with me just a little bit while I tell you all these things and, and build this character for you, because this is what you want, you know, I wanted you to care about. And it's a big ask. I know that, you know, instead of just giving you characters that, that are, you know, what are they doing and what's happening? But I, I wanted you at the end of the day, you know, by the end to really feel for this place. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have advice for writers who are also writing about a place or um, about even a time period or something that people, uh, the mainstream readers, um, in this case, particularly American mainstream readers, might not know about and how to deal with that translation um, with agents, editors? I mean, um, do you have advice for people that are struggling uh, with their stories in the same way? I think uh, the the most concise answer I can give is is ask yourself who you're writing this for and what w- be very specific about what you can't compromise on, but why. It's not just I love this sentence and I want to keep it in, so I'm going to fight for it. It's this has a very in- intentional 
place here. And, and this is, this is why we need this here and be very intentional about it, but also let it be messy at first, write the whole draft. Like I know some people that will spend 10 years on those first five pages because it's so important, but they never get the whole book done. So let it be messy first and then go back and decide who is this for, who is my reader and what am I asking them to do? How much work am I going to ask them? Like, am, am I meeting them halfway? Am I giving them the whole thing to just be entertained? you know, um, and, and make that very, um, deliberate. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. We're going to have to end and get you all back to your writing desk. I just want to thank you, Jasmine, so much for being with us. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. I hope everyone grabs it. Um, we do have a link to our bookshop page so that you can find it, um, there. And that also will help out independent bookstores as well. Uh, you can find our full schedule of interviews on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges. We did one in the fall that was 50 days and one in March that lasted all of March. And it was crazy and exhausting, but there's a lot of good information um, from writers um, uh, there that will help you with your books. Um, you can also find all of these episodes on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. Okay, one last question, Jasmine. I'm assuming you're working on a next project. I How am. does that feel starting a next project after finishing this book? Well, this is actually the project that I, I was talking about writing for 10 years and really trying and not having the writing chops. And so I'm going back to it because it won't leave me alone. And, and I think it's another one that hopefully people will really um, enjoy. Okay, thank you so much for being with us. And everyone have a fabulous writing day.